Section 60 of Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patrick Seaman. The World's Story, Volume 8. Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. Edited by Eva March Tapan. Section 60. Stories of Todenskjold, the Great Danish Admiral. Early 18th Century. Todenskjold as a Fisherman by M. Pearson Thompson. Peter Vessel, Todenskjold, is the Nelson of Denmark. This man, besides being a great admiral, was the most genial character, and had a striking and original personality. Many true tales are told about this hero which the young Danish lads never tire of hearing. There is a favorite one which tells of the ingenious way by which he discovered the weak points in his enemy's stronghold. Dressing himself as a fisherman, he accompanied two other fishers in a little rowing boat laden with fish to the enemy's shores. Taking a basket of fish, he mounted the hill to the fort, saying he had just brought the fish for the commandant. He is allowed to pass into the fort with his fish, and pretending, stupidly, kept losing his way, gaining knowledge thereby till he reached the commandant's residence. Gaining permission from the latter to supply the garrison with fish, he inquired for how many men he should provide. Let me see, said the commandant, half to himself, a hundred guns, two hundred men. You may bring fish for a hundred men. Todenskjold then left the fort, having obtained all the information he required, and returned to his boat. At this moment, the captain of one of the ships lying in the bay arrived on shore and the pretended fisherman at once accosted him asking permission to serve his men with fish this being granted he at once rode to the ship where he soon disposed of his fish in conversing with the sailors he gained for information that in two days time there would be a great festivity held on shore at which most of them would be present with his valuable knowledge he returned to his own shore from the swedish coast and laid plans which gave Denmark a victory and proved fatal to the Swedes. The Fight with the Swedish Frigate by R. A. Davenport While he was cruising in 1714 under Dutch colors, an incident occurred which manifested at once his intrepidity and his chivalric disposition. He fell in with a Swedish frigate of greatly superior force, which had hoisted the English flag. The Swedish commander hailed and ordered him to bring two, but instead of obeying, Wessel answered with a broadside. A furious contest took place, which was suspended by the night, and renewed on the return of day. At length he was informed that there was only powder enough left for four broadsides. He immediately sent off a boat under a flag of truce, with the following message to his opponent. I was ready to board you, and I might come to close quarters with such a gallant fellow as you are but the sea is so rough that I cannot affect my purpose. I can fire but four broadsides. Let me some pounder, and we will begin again. If you will not grant my request, give me your word that you will continue about here, and I will go to procure ammunition. To this the Swede replied, I have not more powder than I want for my own use, but I invite the gallant vessel to come on board, for he wished to drink his health. The invitation was accepted, and the two captains pledged each other in a bumper. On taking leave, Wessel exclaimed, 
salute your bonnie lasses at Gothenburg for me. To which the antagonist responded, Yes, and do you do the same on my part to yours at Copenhagen? The vessels then parted. These circumstances becoming known, Wessel was ordered to the Danish capital. His conduct was there investigated by a court of inquiry, and a favorable verdict was the result. The King's Snuffbox by R. A. Davenport On the surrender of Stralsund, the Danish sovereign made his entry into the place. Wessel was honored with an audience by his royal master. He presented to him a snuff-box set with diamonds. While he was offering the contents of the box to some officers of rank when he had taken on board, Wessel gave a sudden lurch, and the box slipped from his hand and fell into the sea. It was mid-December, and the fields of ice were floating round the ship, but he unhesitatingly jumped into the water and dived after the valued gift. The lookers-on were astounded by his disappearance, and no one expected to behold him again. He, however, speedily rose, unhurt, but the royal peasant for which he had rashly risked his life was irrecoverable. For this loss, Wessel was soon and amply indemnified, mad, as under such circumstances with the diving to recover the box, the king could not be but gratified that his present was held in such high estimation. In a second interview with Wessel, he said to him, I ennoble you, confer on you the name of Tordenskjold, Thundershield, and grant you a coat of arms suitable to the honorable name which you have so well earned. You are the thunder which crushes the Swedes, and the shield which covers the navy of my kingdom. Todenskjold returned to Copenhagen with the monarch, who also appointed him as adjutant general and inspector of the Danish fleets. The Capture of Marstrand by R. A. Davenport Orders were now sent to him by the Danish monarch to attack the fortress of Marstrand, which is situated a few miles north of the Gierta, on a small island of the entrance of the Hockeyfjord. Adjoining the town and commanding it is the citadel of Carlston. He appeared before the town with his fleet on the 24th of July, and began by landing 600 men on the island of Coo, which lies opposite to Marstrand. By this step, he precluded the garrison from receiving succor or retreating. A Swedish flotilla, consisting of 17 sail, was then in the harbor. On the day after his arrival, Tordenskjold bombarded and cannonaded the flotilla with such vigor that he forced his way into the port. The enemy then abandoned their vessels, having first burnt or sunk some of them. Their retreat was ever so precipitate that they could not destroy the whole. Several fell into the power of the victors, among which were a 44-gun frigate, two 16-gun sloops, and a prom. The panic of the Swedes was so great that they abandoned the town of Marstrand and retired into the citadel of Karlstein. Here they might have defended themselves for some time could their governor, Colonel Dankvert, have mustered up sufficient courage, but he soon found a reason or a pretext for capitulating. On the second day of the siege, a bomb having fallen into and blown up a powder magazine, he entered into a parley, which ended in his consenting to surrender. Five hours were allowed him for ev evacuating the fort, either from carelessness or some lingering idea that he ought not readily to succumb. He allowed for the stipulated time to go by without performing his agreement. 
Tordenskjold was not to be trifled with, and he took a step which undoubtedly bordered upon rashness. By a narrow postern gate, he contrived to make his way into the fortress, accompanied only by a handful of men, proceeded to the house of Dankbert, and demanded in a menacing voice why the Swede had not kept his word. Overawed by his resolute opponent, the governor submitted and delivered up the citadel. The dastardly conduct naturally excited a suspicion in the Swedish government that he had been guilty of treachery, and accordingly, on his arrival in Sweden, he was loaded with irons and committed to jail to be tried for his life. Such was the rage of the populace against him, that as he passed through the streets, on his way to the prison, the crowd, and even the women, pelted him with stones, in such a manner that the guards could scarcely succeed in saving his life. The result of his trial I have not been able to discover. While the vanquished governor was thus exposed to the violence of popular odium, and the danger of having his existence ignominiously terminated, the victor was being loaded with honors by the gratitude of his sovereign. Tordenskjold was raised to the rank of vice-admiral, appointed chamberlain to the king, endowed with a large estate, and presented by the king himself with a massy gold medal, struck to commemorate the conquest and the portrait of the monarch set in diamonds, and there were only three other superior officers who were allowed to wear a similar portrait as a memorial of their services. Nor was this all. He was soon after nominated a member of the Board of Moralty, and in his presence the name of the Marstrand was given by the Danish monarch to a ship of the line at the moment it was launched. End of section 60. This recording is in the public domain.